In early 2000, Don North and his sailboat, the Wind Dancer, vanished somewhere off the coast of Panama. During the search for Don, a body was found floating near where he had gone missing. It was tied to an anchor and was clearly a victim of foul play, but the body wasn't Don's. This is how the story of a disappearance led to the capture of an alleged serial killer who targeted sailors. Hello and welcome aboard. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime, the podcast with that lady that lives on a boat and likes to talk about true crime and crazy travel stories from all over the world. Yes, there will be noises, but there will also be an incredible story for you to listen to. Today we're traveling to Panama, which is probably most famous for its canal, which connects the Atlantic and Pacific. About 19,000 boats traverse this canal every year. Only one massive boat has gotten stuck. You might have heard about it earlier this year. The San Blas Islands are part of Panama. If you had to describe a tropical paradise, the San Blas Islands would come pretty close to what you would describe. 365 tiny coconut-covered islands in a warm, inviting climate. That's what would eventually draw Dawn North to the archipelago. But let's back it up a bit. In North Carolina in 1991, a young man named Don North and his new wife Janet were planning, like many other sailors, to fulfill a lifelong dream of living on a sailboat. Janet remembers the first time she met Don. She said there was an immediate connection there that was not going to be denied. She and Don had a dream in common, and that was to buy a sailboat and sail around the world. They worked hard, made sacrifices, and finally bought the boat that they wanted. They named it the Wind Dancer. It was the beginning of a great adventure for them. Janet said the boat was beautiful and it was an exciting moment in their lives. Although they felt elated, they also felt a little bit scared, which I think is a healthy feeling, especially when living on a boat for the first time. Don loved being Captain Don. He took to that role quite nicely, but being on the high seas had its risks. Don's fears were more from other people than they were from the sea. He was becoming more and more worried about piracy and other threats. He decided to bring a handgun on board to protect himself and his wife. Their time on the boat together wasn't easy, and according to Janet, Don's temper was growing. Sadly, their marriage didn't survive. By 2001, the couple had split up. Janet had met another man and told Don that she wanted out of the marriage. She told him that she fell in love with somebody else and wanted to leave the boat. When she left, Don was heartbroken. He felt that he had lost both his soulmate and his traveling partner. The sailing life is always romanticized. It isn't always easy though, and not everyone is made to live on a boat. After the couple had split up, Don's mental state began to deteriorate. His nephew, Ezra North, believed he was lonely and maybe a little depressed. He began communicating less with family and friends and began to rely more and more on his radio for company. He would use it to chat with people on other vessels near where he kept his boat. Perhaps he needed some time for self-reflection. After traveling all through the Caribbean, Don finally found his island paradise, his one particular harbor, in the remote San Blas Islands located off the coast of Panama. He loved the untouched beauty of the islands and felt a connection with the Kuna Indians who lived there. He loved and respected the locals. 
He would volunteer for projects like gardening and even help them dig a well. The locals loved him in return. During this time, he got a dog which he named Kuna, who was constantly at his side. Is that kind of weird, a dog named after a group of people? Does anybody have a dog named American or maybe British, Australian? Let me know. Ezra loved having an uncle who lived this adventurous lifestyle and had made some wonderful memories with Don aboard the Wind Dancer. They kept in touch fairly regularly. Don emailed his nephew in December of 2010. He talked about severe storms that were hitting the region around Panama. What Ezra didn't know is that this would be the last email he would ever get from Don. When Don North's family couldn't reach him in January of 2011, they became alarmed. Cruisers in the area would keep in touch with Don on a regular basis, but they hadn't heard from him either. He hadn't come back from a short trip to Colombia as he had planned. Local cruisers started inquiring about their good friend, and to be on the lookout notice was issued. They knew he was a single-handed sailor who had been cruising through the Caribbean for 20 years, and that he was a competent sailor, but it was unusual that no one could reach him, and no one had seen or heard from him. And where was his boat? It wasn't like him to not be talking on the single sideband radio. Friends missed his presence at the happy hours and potlucks on the beaches. Don was known for his daily broadcasts on the single sideband. He was a wealth of information and was always happy to help other cruisers. He'd share information about the island. He'd help organize events for cruisers and was always ready to lend a helping hand to a friend or a fellow cruiser. Two of these cruisers were Glenn and his wife Edie Tuttle. They were both retired FBI agents who had been cruising in the Caribbean for a few years. They loved the freedom of being out in nature and being self-sufficient. They liked that they could catch dinner right underneath their boats if they wanted to. Another cruiser was Becky Reynolds. She was Don's former girlfriend. She remembers when he motored up to her in a yellow dinghy with a pink motor. She thought, oh my gosh, who is this character? As she got to know him better, she found him to be funny and interesting. They lived together happily for five years. Many cruisers love sailing, but after 20 years, Don didn't actually do much sailing. It was a bit of an ongoing joke within the cruising community surrounding him. Several people said things like, In all the time I've known Don, we've probably sailed seven times. He liked to be on his boat, but it was more like a home than a means of transportation. One man said, Oh, Don is a classic. His claim to fame was that he never went anywhere fast, and if there was any wind, he wouldn't go. So it was unusual, to say the least, that his quick trip to Columbia was taking so long. It was a trip that was supposed to take only five days, there and back. He and his adorable dog were beginning to feel missed. Friends contacted Don's family and friends back at home and spread the word among cruisers in a frantic search to locate him, Kuna, and the wind dancer. In Panama, a missing persons report was only allowed to be made by a member of the family. So Don's nephew Ezra immediately flew down to Panama from Texas to make the report and to hold a news conference. He needed help finding his uncle. In order to do this, he asked for advice among cruisers in the community. They directed him towards an American man living in Panama named Don Winner. Don Winner is a former intelligence officer with the U.S. Air Force and an investigative journalist who ran a website for expatriates. 
He was also a CBS News consultant. When he was asked to get involved with the situation, he dropped everything else he had going on and focused on the search for Don. When he was asked by a CBS reporter why he got involved, his response was, who wouldn't help if you knew there was a family member who was asking you for help? You drop what you're doing and you go help that guy. I mean, it's the right thing to do. Don Winter's one of the good guys. So Ezra and Winter started searching for information about Don North. First, they began talking to other cruisers. They were told that he was sailing the Wind Dancer to Columbia. He wasn't going alone, though. Instead, he was sailing with another man named Javier Martin. The plan had been that Don was going to make a five-day trip from the Sandblast to Cartagena in order to renew his visa, and he took Javier Martin along for the company. The trip was supposed to be a short one, but it was coming up on three weeks, and no one had seen or heard anything. As they were deciding what their next step in the investigation would be, terrible news came in. A man's body was discovered floating near the Sandblast Islands. Everyone involved with Don's search felt sick. They knew something terrible had happened, and they were praying it wasn't Don's body. The bullet-ridden body had been tied to an anchor and thrown overboard. The victim had been shot in the head and was identified as a Frenchman named Jean-Pierre Bouillard. His body was discovered in Portobello Bay on February 4th. Tourists who had paid to dive on the beautiful reefs that day made a horrible discovery. His body was floating on the surface with his feet and hands tied to an anchor. He had been clearly killed by the bullet to his head. Jean-Pierre Bouillard had been living in Panama for several years. He owned a large catamaran named the Levante, which he would captain back and forth from Colombia to Panama. His business was transporting backpackers to and fro. Don North's friends and family felt relieved that it wasn't North, but they remained deeply worried. Ezra, Don Winner, and the retired FBI agents, the Tuttles, put their heads together, and they believed immediately that it was more than a coincidence that this Frenchman had been found murdered, and that Don North was missing. But what was the connection? With a little more research, it was discovered that Bouillard was last seen with Martin as well. Ding, ding, ding. Alarm bells were ringing. Javier Martin was from Valencia, Spain. He was thinly built with dark hair and eyes. He was believed to be about 40 years old and fit. Panamanian law enforcement authorities had arrested Martin and interrogated him as a possible suspect in the murder of Bouillard but then they released him for lack of evidence. Shortly after this, Buohard's 50-foot aluminum catamaran, the Levante, went missing too. It wasn't anchored near Portobello or near Green Turtle Cove where it used to be. Reports were that Martin had been in some kind of feud or fight with the Frenchman who had been murdered. There were also reports that Martin had to be towed into port by Panamanian authorities. He was on a boat called the Green Twilight, which he, for some reason, couldn't manage to bring into the harbor on his own. Keep that boat name, the Green Twilight, in mind for later. As soon as this information came out, there was laser focus on Javier Martin. The Dream Team decided it was time to go to the headquarters of the National Police. Don and Ezra went into the office of the Chief of Operations. They explained the situation and what they thought was going on. They believed there was a killer targeting cruisers. 
They asked that the police department begin working on it. When Don Winter spoke, the Panamanian police listened. Guess why? It'll blow your mind. The reason for this is that just months earlier, Winter and some other locals had helped them catch a serial killer named Wild Bill Holbert. Wild Bill was an American who murdered retired expatriates. Before you ask, yes, I'm absolutely going to cover that case. Winter claimed to help solve four murders in a year and a half, so it didn't take much effort for him to convince Panamanian authorities to form a special task force to look for Don North. They also enlisted the FBI, which had agents stationed in Panama City. Because of all his connections, the investigation went from zero to 100% in just a matter of a few hours. Winner and Ezra were happy to join the task force as they began the hunt for Javier Martin. The fear was that he was already on the run, and it might be years before they could find him. Using all the manpower they could muster up, police quickly picked up Martin's trail. It led to a hostel where some of Don North's friends were told that Martin had stayed for a few nights. While there, they learned that Martin was scarier than they believed. One of the women at the hostel said that she thought Martin was a psychopath. She told a story about him catching a snake one time. He cut the head off of it and ran around, shaking it at everyone. He was drunk at the time and was just trying to scare people, it seemed. The investigation then led to a little village port named Puerto Lindo. Here they found out a little bit more about Martin and his habits in the last couple of weeks. They were told that Javier Martin, who usually lived hand-to-mouth, was suddenly living large. He had bought a flat-screen TV, a sound system, and a new guitar. When they followed the money trail, it was believed that he had bought all those things using Don North's ATM card. Winner believed that Martin had pulled the money out himself or had other people helping him. He got their cards and he got their PIN numbers. They knew now that the dead Frenchman and Don North were both missing money and that Martin had gone on a spending spree. There was no doubt in Winner's mind that this was their man. They just needed proof. It was at this point that Ezra had to face the truth that his uncle was most likely murdered by Martin. It was especially hard for him because he loved his uncle deeply. Being down there in the Sandblast Islands had brought back some wonderful memories. Don had taught Ezra how to snorkel and dive, and some of Ezra's best memories were made with Don on his boat. They had to find Martin. I watched a CBS special covering the case, and if you'd like to see it, I have a link in the show description. On it, they showed a couple who were backpacking through Panama. This couple were at the start of a six-month backpacking trip when they met Martin. They needed to get from Colombia to Panama, but they were looking for an adventurous way to do it. Their names were Garrett Paul and Jessica Stout. They said they liked to think outside the box and do things a little bit differently. You might even be familiar with them. Garrett and Jessica were contestants on the CBS show The Amazing Race in 2009. That was only one year after they met Javier Martin. They said they had come across a flyer for his services along with a number of recommendations. So they called him up to see if they could meet him and see the boat. After a brief meeting, they signed on with Martin and spent the next five days aboard his boat, which was named the Twyla. They thought he was a good captain. He was fun, flirtatious, and quite social. He planned barbecues on one of the islands and would happily mingle with them and with the other backpackers. They liked him well enough to recommend him, but never once suspected he would be dangerous to people. 
This was more than a year before Don North and Javier Martin would meet. According to Don Winter, their meeting was under a much more stressful situation. Don North, being the kind and helpful guy he was, helped rescue Martin from a sinking ship. The story goes that Martin wanted to depart the San Blas Islands en route to Colombia on December 8, 2010. It happened to be the day that the worst storm in 300 years hit Panama. This didn't detour him, though. He left with 11 backpackers on board his boat. He put in a request to the port captain, asking permission to leave, as was protocol. The captain denied his request and was told no one was allowed to leave because of the bad weather. Captain Martin left anyway and set sail. The seas were so rough and the storm was so bad that he was forced to turn around to come back. It was reported that some of the backpackers on board were scared out of their minds to the point of losing control of their bodily functions. I would probably have been one of them. Martin, who might have been drunk at the time, misjudged the approach and crashed into a reef. Cruisers, including Don North and locals, were able to get the backpackers off quickly and safely, but the boat was doomed. Martin made a call asking other boaters in the area to raise their anchors to come help him and pull him off the reef, but no one wanted to risk it considering the strength of the storm that was blowing by and the fact that one boat had already crashed into the reef and was sinking. The next day, the Twyla slipped below the reef and into deeper water where she rests today. It's believed that the sinking of the Twyla started the chain of events in this case. I'm sure Don North felt sorry for Martin having lost his boat and extended his friendship. The two men were seen hanging out together shortly after the sinking. Perhaps Martin asked North for a job, or maybe just asked for a favor from North. Could he go along on the trip to Columbia? Either way, Martin was the last person to see North. Winter believed there was a serial killer at work. He let his reporter friends know that night what was going on. The story of Ezra and his missing uncle went international. The manhunt began. Two days later, Martin's whereabouts remained a mystery. The task force was spread out over many islands and off the coast of Panama. Meanwhile, Martin was actually hundreds of miles away in a tiny village called Santa Fe, not far from the border with Colombia. Unbeknownst to the task force, a Panamanian cowboy had met Javier Martin and had sold him two horses. Javier's plan was to pack those horses with all his gear and head into one of the most treacherous jungles on earth where he could make his way to Colombia. He thought no law enforcement would find him or be able to follow him. The investigation moved quickly. They knew he was going to run, they just didn't know where. As investigators continued to follow his trail, it led to Panama's Darien jungle. This jungle is 50 miles wide and hundreds of miles long. It's quite dangerous, and honestly, he may not have made it out alive. This route is one of the most dangerous in the world due to the mountainous terrain, dangerous wildlife, and insects, as well as a large presence of organized criminals. Martin had no choice. It was the only way he could flee Panama to get to Colombia. He knew people would be looking for him on the water, so his plan was to be able to ride horseback through some of the worst, most impenetrable jungle in the world to escape. He'd use his newly acquired money to smooth the way if need be. Authorities knew he was equipped with guns and money, so time was of the essence. Luckily, Winner's strategy of plastering Martin's face on international TV was about to pay off. In a tiny town on the edge of the Darien jungle, 
A hotel clerk watched the news report and was amazed to realize that she had just met Martin. He was staying right there in her hotel. Martin had assumed the identity of the man he had killed. He had used the name Don North to register into the hotel. The clerk spoke with Winter and told him that Martin had hit on her and was trying to get her to come up to his room, saying it's Valentine's Day and I don't want to spend Valentine's Day alone. She turned him down, and when she realized who he really was, she was so scared she immediately called her boss, who then called the police. The police went to work and rather easily captured Martin in his room. Inside they found three weapons and $13,000 in cash stolen from his victims. They also found several forms of identification with Don North and Jean-Pierre Buahard's names on them. The day after he was arrested, authorities found Don's missing boat, the Wind Dancer. Martin had changed its name to Green Twilight. Do you remember that he got towed in on a boat called the Green Twilight? Ezra recognized the boat right away and could even see the impression of the old name underneath the new paint. It was at this moment that he truly realized his uncle was gone. North would never have left the boat if he was alive. Investigators knew he had been killed on the boat because they found DNA on board. According to Ezra, they found blood on the top of the cabin, indicating there may have been a gunshot wound to the head. They also found blood going up the stairs and out onto the deck, indicating that Martin had pulled him off the boat and thrown him overboard. There was very little question about the fact that he was killed on the boat. Evidence continued to pile up against Martin. On the island that North loved so much, two tents were found that had been rented by Martin. Inside the tents, investigators found more money and more of Don North's belongings, including a gun and equipment from his boat. There were electronics, navigational equipment, and all the more expensive items that would normally be found on a cruising boat. It's believed that Martin killed Don thinking he would take his boat. He was desperate to restart his hiker transport business, and he had absolutely nothing since he lost his boat and his home. Martin would charge $450 per person for each trip, so what he really wanted was a bigger boat that could carry more passengers. Perhaps Don's small boat wasn't quite big enough for Martin, or maybe he just didn't think it was nice enough, or maybe he couldn't handle the boat. But Jean-Pierre Bouillard's bigger catamaran would be perfect. He also shuttled people back and forth on his catamaran in order to make money. So Martin killed two birds with one stone by killing Jean-Pierre. He got a new, bigger boat and eliminated a competitor. When Jean-Pierre Bouillard's catamaran was found, it too had been repainted and renamed. They also found falsified documents on board claiming that Martin was the owner. When the interior of the boat was investigated with luminol, they found bloodstains in the catamaran as well. They also found two bullet holes. All they needed now was Don's body. They believed he had been tied to an anchor and thrown overboard as well, so they attempted to scan the channel that sources told them Martin had sailed in after the murder. After multiple attempts, they came to realize that the water was just too deep, and if the body had been there, it would have been nearly impossible, very expensive, and extremely time-consuming to find. Sadly, Don North's body is lost at sea forever. Despite many unanswered questions, his friends and family take solace in the knowledge that his body is likely in the waters that he called home. His ex-girlfriend said that when she goes snorkeling, 
She enjoys the peace and quiet of being under the water, and she thinks about him being at peace. He would have been happy having his resting place be in the sea. Investigators knew they had their man, but now they had to research the Twyla, the boat that sank on the reef near the Sandblast Islands. Investigators sent divers down to look and see if they could find any signs of foul play. According to Don Winter, what they did find was forged paperwork. Javier Martin was charged with the murder and deaths of American Don North and the Frenchman Jean-Pierre Bouhard. In addition, he faced charges for the possession of illegal weapons, theft, and the use of credit cards, which he used to clean out the accounts of both his victims. Panama doesn't have life in prison without the possibility of parole, but in the case of Martin, the chances of him ever walking out of prison are slim. Martin is now in jail in Panama's most notorious prison, La Joyita. My Spanish is pretty limited, so I looked up what this means because it sounds way too happy to me. It means little gem. The prison is overcrowded and apparently allows guns because in 2019, 15 inmates were killed by each other inside the prison by warring gangs. It's described as more of a concentration camp than anything else. Martin was given two life sentences, 26 years each for the murders of Jean-Pierre and Don. There are still several questions that remain unanswered. One of them was, how did Martin end up as the owner of a Beneteau sailboat worth about $250,000 in the first place? The one he accidentally ran into a reef. Did he kill someone else before he came to Panama in order to steal their boat? Is he wanted anywhere else in the world? He killed North in the middle of January, and then he killed Jean-Pierre only two weeks later. How many other people might he have killed along the way? Some of these questions Don Winter wanted answers to, so he did a little bit more digging. He found a source in the Caribbean who wanted to remain confidential, but he did receive some information, and the information he received was quite similar to what went down in the Sandblast Islands. In the early 2000s, Martin was caught by French Maritime Police in St. Martin. He was briefly arrested for trying to steal a 62-foot sailboat from the Dutch side of the island. He illegally boarded a sailboat at night, removed all the manufacturer's plates and references to the boat's actual identity, and then he painted a new name on the boat's transom. This is exactly what he did when he was in Panama. Clumsy as ever, he was discovered early the next morning after the sun came up, aboard the boat that he was trying to steal. He had accidentally run it into a sandbank while trying to make the getaway. According to Winter, when Martin stole Buahard's catamaran, he promptly crashed it into a pier at Green Turtle Key Marina. The workers there said he obviously didn't know how to handle the boat. And let's not forget he crashed his boat, the Twyla, into a reef. This made for a total of three boating accidents. Back in St. Martin, the French Marine Police boarded the boat that he had accidentally run aground, but they were reluctant to take any action against him at first because he had in his possession forged documents that looked like genuine ship's papers. He also had a falsified contract delivery and a fake insurance declaration. Once again, these are the same exact things he did with the Levante that belonged to Buahard. The French Maritime Police took him into custody, and that's when they discovered the ship's papers he was trying to use had actually been stolen from another boat that was in storage. He was released after only three days. After his release, he ran away, choosing the British Virgin Islands as his next target. There, he quickly stole the boat that he renamed the Twyla. 
Once he had Twyla in his possession, he returned to St. Martin, where he broke into another boat and stole a bunch of equipment. Looking back even further into his criminal history, before Martin went to St. Martin, he was in Antigua. While there, he got into a fight. When the local police arrived on the scene, they quickly became suspicious of him. They searched his hotel room and found a large amount of cash and firearms. He was arrested, but he was let out on bail, and when that happened, he quickly ran to St. Martin. When he had Twyla set up in St. Martin, he advertised his yacht delivery service all over the place. I think it's fairly easy to see that he has a pattern he likes to follow. Luckily, that stopped in 2011, thanks to Don Winter and his motley crew of crime-solving cruisers. My hat's off to them. I imagine them to be like Scooby-Doo and his gang, but with a boat instead of a van. The bad guy would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those meddling cruisers. I know some of you are wondering about Don's dog, Kuna. As far as I know, he's never been found. I'd like to believe that he was brought to shore, and a loving family has adopted him. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Maybe share it with a friend and give it a five-star rating and a nice review, or just say hi. You can support the podcast financially if you like. There's a quick and easy link in the show description to do so. You can also find Twisted Travel and True Crime on Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. Or you could email me at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. I'd like to take a moment to say thanks to a couple listeners for their kind words. First, I'd like to thank Amrine for her kind messages on Instagram. She says, I love your podcast. Your voice is extremely calming. I'm listening to scary things, but somehow you make them less scary. Thank you, Amrine. What a nice compliment. An anonymous listener says, fabulous. Very good. Very different. Thank you. And I say thank you right back. Finally, I want to apologize to listeners from Australia because I just discovered that iTunes doesn't give me the um, reviews from Australia. I have to look them up separately. So some of you have left reviews and I've never thanked you. So I'm thanking you all right now. And I'd especially like to thank Hey It's Maddie 99 who wrote, I love the cases covered. The details great and so succinct. The host's voice is so soothing. I often find myself drifting off when I'm listening at bedtime. I love the faint boat noises and the background music. Such a great podcast all around. Thank you so much, Maddie, and everybody else in Australia who I have missed in the past. I truly appreciate you taking the time to review the podcast. It helps a lot and, of course, makes me really happy, too. To all of you listening, until next time, I'd like to wish you all fair winds and following seas.